Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Today we're going to be taking a look at Christians being called to live in unity. And I feel this teaching is important in that we within Christian identity are not as unified as we should be. In fact, there are men who will come in and say, you know what, unification doesn't really mean unified. But to begin today's study, I'd like to take a look at the beginning of the letter of St. Paul, the Apostle, to Romans. And so, in Romans chapter 15, we're going to be reading about Paul's command that not only are Christians called to study the Scriptures, but we are called to live in unity. Why would this be? Why would God demand that we be unified? That is, within the faith. And how do we do that? Well, Paul begins to provide that key in Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 4. Paul says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now did you hear what Paul just said? Paul called us to teach the Scriptures. And Paul, as an apostle, would know more so than any other. Because Paul will quote the Old Testament scriptures more than any other New Testament author. Mostly the book of Isaiah, but also oftentimes the minor prophets. The book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. Paul wants you to understand right here as we begin in Romans chapter 15 verse 4. That whatsoever things were written aforetime, meaning in the Pentateuch and the prophets in the Old Testament, were written for our learning. They were written for you and I to go back to in times of trouble to obtain comfort with. They are written so that when man comes along and tells you something that is not found within Scripture, or more importantly, goes against the entire spirit of the teaching of the law, well then you'll be able to mark that particular man as a sower of discord. Yahweh God hates sowers of discord because they are not unified. And if we are to comprise the many-membered body of Christ, then we must understand that we have one body, right? And not only that, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't coincidence that these things were written down. And it didn't take thousands of years of men coming along and inventing new fictions to put within it. They were written for the Christian learning. Because God foreknew 
that we would enter a great time of apostasy. A time when many men and women would come in like Pilate of old and say, well, what is truth? And that brings me to my first point today, and that is this. What is your yardstick? What is your standard of measure when it comes to what truth is? Because it is ironic to me that we live in this great society that considers themselves illuminated. A society in which they say, peace, peace, and there is no peace. And on the same token, they say, "Why, well, we're really, really smart, aren't we? We're illuminated, we're educated, we're so much greater than they were before then, but yet we live in a society where less people read the Bible than ever before. Perhaps that's part of it. If all things that were written before in the Old Testament and the New, by extension, for our era, were written for our learning, then learn from the Bible, not from man. This right here confirms what Yahweh God said within the Old Testament, and that is, if a dreamer of dream arises, or a so-called prophet, and they come in and they tell you something that's not to be found or substantiated within the Word of God, for example, they may come in and say God wants disunity, when we've already proven that God wants unity. You can go back to the Bible and mark them. Paul says, we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So, Paul would quote the Scripture. Paul would teach the Old Testament Scripture. And so it was that Yahshua would teach the Law and the Prophets as well, and would teach that until heaven and earth pass, not one jot, not one tittle, shall in no wise pass from that Law. Why is that? So we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So, the second point is this. Paul straightforwardly understood that we needed a written word. A written word so that we could come back to it in this era, 2016, and have blessed assurance, a polite way of saying hope. But not only that, so that we can define what is truth because we live in a great era of deception, my friend. One merely need to turn on the television to see that that is true. There are a million and one fictions, seemingly all put forth by the enemies of God, and usually to obfuscate the very simple truth that is codified within God's Word. Paul, like myself, is saying, if the Bible says something that trumps what you believe within your heart, that also trumps a dishonest man who wants to come in and tell you what it is you want to hear. So far, we've established that everything that was written down by Moses, by Solomon, by David, going all the way up to Malachi, at least, was written for our learning. So you can go back and learn and teach yourself. Why would we need this liberty? Because men will come in and lie to you. And we see that's true in this era, do we not? Where if our children have to go to public school, they are told that, well, everybody's equal, that God came for all people. Go back to the Bible and see if God came for all people. Go back to the Bible and see if all men are equal, even if man tells you they are. And suddenly you will see that Scripture doesn't teach equality among the races. In fact, God says he has a chosen people. Go back and see that Scripture doesn't teach that everyone can work out their own way. 
Everything that was written was meant to be a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. An example that you can learn from for your learning. Therefore, you can go back to these Old Testament examples like Moses and say, well, it looks to me as if Moses didn't obey exactly as Yahweh commanded him. Therefore, I had better do so, right? But the way of the bogus prophet is to come in and tell you, well, you can sin and get by. What else does Paul say? He says right here in verse 5, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one towards another according to Christ Jesus. Not according to everything that happens within the world. We do not have to be unified on our belief as to whether Trump or Hillary is the better candidate. We do not have to be unified in the belief of dual seed line versus single seed line. But we are commanded to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. And that makes perfect sense, does it not? Because if Christ is our Savior, if Christ is the definition of all truth, being the Word or flesh, then we are to be like-minded within what Christ taught, not the Pentateuch. You can come in and you can debate, for example, and say, well, the law says eye for eye, but Christ says love your enemy. Right? That's not contingent on your salvation. But being like-minded one towards another according to Christ Jesus, meaning in what he teaches, in what he says, that, my friend, is important. We must be like-minded. So much that Yahweh God hates a sower of discord for that very reason. Sowers of discord are looking to keep us from being like-minded. Why? Because the enemy knows if we have one codified word, the scripture, and are like-minded surrounding that written word, we would be a force that is unstoppable. And so, let me put forth this point. The number one modus operandi of the devil, which we've seen in his example with Eve, is to take away the word of God, to cast doubt upon the infallibility of that spoken word. This is what the devil did when he came to Eve and said, Yea, hath God said. Remember, Yahshua taught a parable by which all other parables are understood. That is, the parable of the sower. And in that parable, he straightforwardly said that the way of the serpent is to come and take away the word that is sowed in man's heart. Number one is this. The easiest way for the Jew to come in and remove you from your God is to get you moved over to a replacement Bible. Something that teaches what is not established, what is not doctrine, and what is not accepted. God is a God of patience. Patient so much that He sent His only begotten Son, quote-unquote, to die upon the cross for a group of unruly Israelites. They were screaming out, crucify him. They were saying, well, we'd rather have another king. We have no king but Pilate. <laughs> so, what we need to do is be like-minded, one towards another, according to Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 6. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why. If we're not like-minded then we can't have one mind and one mouth. If we do not have one codified word, the enemy already knows that when you quote a Bible verse, 
your friend will come to you and say, well, my Bible says something different. That's because there are Jews out there who want to come in and whitewash the simplicity that is in the written word. Christ taught this in his parable of the sower. The way of the devil is to take that word. And once that word is taken, then you are subject to the manipulation of the serpent. Understand this point. Paul right here is not saying that we do not need the written word. Paul, in fact, is not even alluding to the fact that if man comes in and tells you what is written is wrong, then they are to be hearkened unto. He's saying we must be unified, like-minded, one towards another, towards Christ, so that we can glorify Him with one mind, one mouth. And how do we do that? Through the Scripture. That's how you know you're on the correct path. Interesting, is it not, because Paul would have been a Pharisee. He grew up a Pharisee. His father was a Pharisee before him. And as a result of being a Pharisee, his New Testament epistles quote the Old Testament law more than anyone else. He would teach Isaiah, he would teach Jeremiah, Psalms and Proverbs, for a specific reason. Because he understood what the Pharisees were doing. The way of the Pharisee was to come in and deny the written word, or to come in and invent new traditions. I bring all of this up, of course, because we still see this mindset within Christian identity today. If we could cling to the written word of God, what is codified and what has been accepted, then we will not have our carts overburdened with theologies and doctrines of men that make null this word. Understand what I'm saying. The way of the devil is to come in and say, well, Lord doesn't mean Lord. Jesus doesn't mean Jesus. God doesn't even mean God. So that way, you give up, walk away, and say, well, screw it. Where's the truth? But if we were unified in one mind, we'd have so much more power, my friend, through hope. Where is that hope found, or the confirmation of our hope? But in the Bible. He says, you with one mind and one mouth may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Notice, he says, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And this brings me to my second point. Over the last few weeks I've been preaching on grace, abiding within Christ. Loving our enemies. And wouldn't you know it, just like every time before that when I preach on loving our proverbial enemy, there are men and women who come in and say, Pastor Visser's preaching on loving our enemy again. Can you believe it? I'm not saying it. Yahshua is saying it. And he was perfect, according to Paul. I just covered this three days ago. Perfect because he was able to do just this. To receive us as Christ received us, right? Quote, as Christ received us to the glory of God, end quote. Many of the men and women that Yahshua died for on Calvary were not worthy, just like many men and women who cross your path that you feel have done you wrong will not be worthy either. But if we go and do not be like our Heavenly Father and rebuke it, chastise that particular individual, we are not being unified. We are not being like-minded one towards another. For example, if the Bible says the will of God is that all should come to repentance, then there's no man or woman who can come in and say, I'm not like-minded. I'm not in full agreement with that. 
But be that as it may, there is the Jew there, proverbially, every time saying, hmm, there's some secret hidden knowledge here if you'll just do away with what it says on its surface. Paul didn't say right here, everything in the Old Testament was a dark saying. It was a proverb that needed to be interpreted by man. Rather, he said everything that was written in the Old Testament, in context here, Paul writing to the Romans, right, was still in effect. Interesting, is it not? Because Paul would have been a second generation Christian. If Christ came in so that you could live however you want and that the law was done away with and you no longer needed to hearken to the Old Testament, how come Paul did not know? In fact, how come Paul is teaching the opposite, saying that everything that was written aforetime, meaning in the days of yore, they were written for our learning under the New Covenant, around 70 A.D. at the time this was written. All these things, Paul did not say that the Old Testament was done away with, and it stands to reason, because Christ didn't say it either. So Christians are to study the Bible, the written Word of God, and the written Word of God testifies that there is to be a codified Word of God. Why? Well, there's two reasons for that in my own estimation. One is, the law is written on our heart. Therefore, we don't really need a schoolmaster to know right and wrong. But because there is a written word, we can go back to it for the confirmation that what we believe is correct. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can feel all we want that murder is wrong. We can feel all we want that women should not preach within a church setting. But if we cannot justify it within a codified written word, it means nothing it means nothing. And understand, Yahweh jumped through great hoops to get this word codified for you and our use today. Only for the false prophet to come in and say, well, the King James has errors in it, as if theirs does not. The way of the devil is to take the word from you, the word that is planted within your heart and or mind. And there are many ways of doing that. So, to really prove this point, that Paul taught pronomianism, he taught that we should cling to the Word of God and not only that which is written, we should strive to be like-minded one towards another as Christ did us. Do you feel you were worthy of that sacrifice? Well, be that as it may, I'm not here to debate whether you are or are not. But understand that Christ died for an unruly group of people that were saying crucify Him, that wanted to see His death. So, when I come and I preach on doing good to those that persecute you, or I teach you that we, as the sons and daughters of Yahweh God, possess love that can overcome evil, according to uh, Paul here in Romans, then naturally it is because of the false prophet who comes in and says, Oh, well, I have the latest, greatest doctrine. No, they don't. In fact, the reason we have so many erroneous Bibles down here is because the enemy wants you confused. Because they understand, more so than even we do, that the first thing the devil usually does is take away the Word. Because without the Word, we cannot be like-minded, right? Without what was written aforetime for our learning, we cannot have what? Hope. Hope. So important that I preached an entire series on Christian hope. 
And granted, it was not listened to as much as holy war, but that's the way of man. They like to hear about famine, murder, bloodshed. They don't want to hear about love, hope, and charity. But be that as it may, part of the reason they do not want to hear it is because we're not like-minded. When Pastor Visser quotes verbatim Christ saying, Love your enemies, do good to those who would use you, well, it is usually because of the false prophet that they don't want to hear it. They simply say, well, this doesn't apply to me, because after all, Rabbi so-and-so said that uh, apparently Christ didn't say forgive them from the cross. Therefore, I don't have to forgive, and everything that Yahshua taught pertaining to Christian hope, forgiveness, and grace is somehow or another a lie. That's how easy the false prophet works. So, we need to go to Paul, right, before any man who comes in and tells us, Paul's a false prophet. And so, in order to fully confirm that, skip over to the second epistle of Paul the Apostle to Timothy, also known as 2 Timothy. In chapter 2, we begin reading, right here in verse 14, Paul says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words, to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. What things? These are five charges that Paul gives to Timothy. And they are in reference to the five faithful sayings that Paul gives Timothy. They are in the three verses before. For example, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Point A, we must die to live. Verse 12 says, if we suffer, we shall reign with him. Point B, if you want to reign, you must suffer. The third is, if we deny him, he will deny us. So understand that. If you live life denying God, you'll be denied in judgment. The fourth and fifth is, if we believe not, yet abide faithful, he cannot deny himself. If we don't believe, yet abide within the faithful word of God that is written, Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts, or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. If we don't believe, yet abide within the faith word of God that is written. He cannot deny himself. Man can deny him. Man can come in and say he hung from the cross and said, don't forgive anything that those men and women did in crucifying me. 
And we can look at that and say, hey, that makes perfect sense, right? Because that appeals to our flesh. But what we don't understand is it makes Christ a liar. When Christ says, love your enemy, was that added to? When Christ taught on the Samaritan, was that added to? No, of course not. So, Paul gives these five faithful sayings, then five charges to Timothy. Here in the second chapter of the second epistle of Paul to Timothy, he says, Of these things, put them in remembrance. Don't only remind them of all these faithful sayings, that if we be dead with him, we shall live with him as well. But charge them before Yahweh, the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. This word, subverting, that is translated from Greek here, is catastrophe. Catastrophe. In the Greek, that's where we derive that term. It means an overturning, an overthrowing, and you guessed it, a catastrophe. Notice the context of it. Do not strive about words to no profit, but to the subverting of hearers. Then he says in verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Stopping right there. Study to show yourselves approved unto God. Paul doesn't say whatever you feel within your heart, well, that's apropos. Paul says you must study to show yourself approved, meaning that even in Paul's time, there was a codified word. There was the law and the prophets considered the Pentateuch and the Old Testament. But he understood that it would be written because it was commanded to write down the words within the book. And that it was commanded to write down for every generation because Christ clearly taught, and so did Paul, that man would come in and they would overburden you. They would argue about words that have no profit whatsoever, and without a written word, well, it's very easy for man to come in and tell you, well, meek does not mean teachable, forgive does not mean forgive, and Jesus does not mean Yahshua. So very important, to study to show yourself approved unto God means you must have something to study. You can't study the air, you can't study your own heart and pass it off as fact or reality. You must study the written word. Verse 15 continues. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's why. Paul taught on the importance of the written word because we, without the written word, cannot rightly divide that truth. All it takes is a pope or a bastard tear even to come in and tell you, well, that word doesn't mean what it means. And to an Israelite who already has hardwired within him the ability and the desire to disobey, that's what they require. And so, this is why the Bible says we are to have two witnesses on every matter. Two witnesses, not only for something that is written, but for anything we accept as truth. I bring this up, of course, because there are men and women out there who spend a lot of time slandering yours truly. And I have found over the years that those who have a heart to desire the truth will go and they'll research it and find out it's total fiction. But to the man who wants to disobey and disagree and is looking for the crumbs from the master's table, proverbially, their homework is already done by the false prophet who comes in and says, don't research for yourself. I've taught this 50 years. Don't listen to nobody. Just take my word. Never. 
take any man's word for it. Go back to the Bible. What does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, not man. If man comes in and says, this is my new Bible, it's the most accurate thing, then you should study it to be approved to God. And part of that is, if you find it in error, based on the overwhelming theme of the Bible, the AKA text test, then you can rebuke them. Why do you think God spoke the law, commanded that it be written for each successive generation? Could it be that he already understood that without a written word, we're meat for the beast of the field, proverbially? Now, the false prophet knows that. Sadly, a majority of our people do not. And so all it takes is a Jew to come in and say, Hey, look, I wrote the most accurate Bible ever, because the King James has a few errors. And in reality, their Bible has 30 times the errors as the King James. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Why? A workman does not need to be ashamed because he can rightly divide the word of truth. The word of truth. That's what this is. Pilate asked Yahshua what is truth because he truly did not understand. And so, a majority of your atheists and your agnostics will have the same mindset. What is truth? Well, truth can be rightly divided, correct? If we rightly divide the word of truth, then we'll be able to do what Paul says here in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 2. He says, Shun profane and vain babblings. For they will increase unto more ungodliness. They will increase unto more ungodliness. What will? Vain and profane babblings. Notice also the usage of the word profane. Because there are profane men and they attempt to profane the word of God. Remember that Peter says in his second epistle, chapter 2, that the way of the false prophet is so that the way of truth is evil spoken of. In short, the false prophet's job is to profane the simplicity that is in Christ. So far, what we've covered this Sunday morning is very, very simple, is it not? Paul says there is a written word, and that written word trumps what man tells you. Moreover, that written word is designed so that we can edify ourselves in a world of deceit and false prophets, and that we can be like-minded. And if we do, if we rightly divide the word of truth, we can shun profane and vain babblings. Vain, meaning kenophonia in the Greek, means babble or babbling, increasing ungodliness. This is the way of the false prophet. They come in and they have these long-winded excuses going over and over and over about how God is imperfect and he's a weak coward who seemingly cannot keep his word codified the way that he desires it. But Paul says we are to study the Scriptures, right? So far we've covered that in Romans chapter 15. And now we just covered his second witness to this fact in his second letter to Timothy chapter 2, right? So one final place to drive this point home. Also, in the words of Paul, And to the Paul basher I make no apology, in quoting Paul, because I really find no problems with what Paul taught. In fact, many times it was Paul who was a very valuable second witness to what was already written. Without Paul, the Bible as we know it 
More importantly, the New Testament would not exist because Paul wrote 80% of the New Testament. For what? For our learning. So we can learn what is truth, not so we can read Paul, learn of Christ, and then say, hey, I distrust Paul. So we can all be like-minded in one belief. Like-minded. The Bible is not there necessarily for division, even though it will cause division. But the Bible is there, so when you agree with something, and you find like-minded Christian people who do, you already have confirmation of what is truth. You've already refused babblings and the way of the false prophet. So in Ephesians chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Through Christ's sacrifice, through his ability to love his own enemies and those that would otherwise despitefully use him, through that act that we're called to perfection, to follow after, through that, we were sometimes afar off, were made nigh by the blood of Yahshua. Nigh, made nigh by His death. You can read about this in Romans 5, Philippians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, and so many other places. We live because Christ died. So I truly do not understand how anybody could have a problem with me preaching the words of Christ saying, love your enemies. He did that for us. But continuing on, he says, for he, Yeshua Messiah, is our peace. Who is? Not Trump. Not Obama. Not Billy Graham. Not even this written word. But the living word, Yeshua, is our peace. Do you want peace? then go to the Word of God. There are seven things that Christ is to us. Just off the top of my head. One is peace. Two is wisdom, according to Corinthians. Three is righteousness. Four is sanctification. Five is redemption. Six is light. And seven, you've heard it before. The way, the truth, and the life. He is all of those. If Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, then any attack on the written Word is an attack on Christ. How can I say that? Because all we know of Christ... Where did we learn it from? Not our own hearts. Not from the babblings of men. But from the schoolmaster, the written word. And my how entertaining it is that we'll come in, learn of Christ from the word of God, and then suddenly think we're smarter <laughs> than the uh, master or the schoolmaster being the servant. Don't make that mistake. For he is our peace who hath both made one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity. <laughs> now, I could preach for an hour right there on how the enmity that was placed there in Genesis 3.15 was abolished, but why should I? There's many CI preachers out there who want you to believe that enmity still exists, that hatred between the two seeds. Therefore, you can go kill anybody you want, right? Luke 19.27, <laughs> John 8.44. How many times they quote these things over and over, but they have no bearing to what Scripture teaches. Christ abolished in His flesh the enmity, the hatred, the variance. But then Paul says this, In His flesh He abolished enmity, the law of commandments, in ordinances. In ordinances. Not the law itself, but the ordinances pertaining to sin atonement when we violate the law. 
We do not go sacrifice a sheep anymore or a turtle dove. Christ for one and all time laid down that sacrifice. But the law is still very much in effect. Verse 15 says, Christ abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments and ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereof. Christ did not die in hatred. Christ died in love. Because he had to die in love to overcome evil with good. How can I prove that? Continue reading. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the hatred thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Did you hear it? Verse 18, here in Ephesians chapter 2. For through, meaning by Him, we have access by one Spirit unto the Father. That is why we are to be unified. That is why the Word, as it is written, is the schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. In short, Christ is the head of the Christian body. Therefore, Christ's members of His body cannot be divided. The head dictates what the body is to do. We are called to be in one spirit, because there is only one spirit. And many of us have that spirit within us. If we walk according to the spirit, the spirit will lead us into all truth. We also need to worship God in spirit and truth, because He is spirit. But Paul does not say there are many holy spirits. He says there is one spirit. For through Him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. We can go to God through the Spirit of Christ. Verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household or the family of God. The family of God. Families are meant to be like-minded, to work together, to build a home, a church, or even their beliefs in unification. If we are divided, the enemy knows we cannot stand and we lose power. If they can quench our spirit, then the enemy knows that we are a powerless group of people. If the body is fractured, then the head cannot lead. And so it stands to reason. Paul continues here in the second chapter of Ephesians. He says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Stopping right there. That's why they're both important. The apostles is the New Testament. The prophets is the Old Testament. We, though, however, are built upon the foundation of those apostles and prophets. Where do we read the words of the Old Testament prophets? But in the minor prophets or the major prophets of the Old Testament. Where do we read the words of the apostles but in the New Testament? What do they preach on? Yahshua. Correct? Therefore, verse 20 concludes, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple of the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Inhabitation of God. A polite way of saying a dwelling place. And so, a week ago I preached on abiding in Christ. 
which is technically a polite way of saying abide within the Spirit. Here is Paul saying the same exact thing. Through Him we both have access by one Spirit under the Father, not by many spirits, not by what you choose to follow. So, what is the conclusion of this matter? It is this. Study to show yourself approved, because the Word is codified and it is the will of God that it be written down. It's up to you to decide what you feel is accurate or not. The next point is this. We are to be unified. We cannot be unified in one spirit if there are varying opinions. That is another reason the Word of God was written down and codified. And three, perhaps more importantly, is Christ did away with the ordinances pertaining to sin atonement according to the Old Testament. Paul quoted the Old Testament. Paul taught the Old Testament. And surprisingly, nowhere did Paul say that Christ did away with the Old Testament laws. He would, however, say, as we proved this morning, that he himself is the chief cornerstone. And if we're built upon that foundation of the apostles and the prophets, meaning the written word, then and only then can Jesus Christ be our chief cornerstone. Chief in the Greek is akrogonias. It's used only here. Only here. And it means emperor. So, look to that cornerstone. I say that, of course, because many churches are established upon a false rock. Not the rock that is Christ. And the easiest way for the devil to get you to disbelieve Christ himself is to get you to disbelieve the word that is Christ. And so, this should be the final Covenant People's Ministry sermon under the current format as we know it. We should be resurrecting within seven days of today, being the 17th of July, with a whole new look and a whole new set of goals that we're going to be moving forward into the future under. Many people never grow, my friend. And one of the ways they don't grow is a false prophet comes in and says, Hey, guess what? You're not saved by grace, like Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Where he says, For by grace ye are saved through faith. You're just saved because you believe. So, just have faith, and you're saved. And seemingly, to the idiot, to the fool, that's all it takes. To the man who is looking to disobey, all it really requires is another disobedient person. But not for us. We are called to be unified, to be one body, so that we can have Christ and abide within what? One Spirit, verse 18. For by Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. If we're not unified, if we're not of one mind and body, we have no access to God. So with that, I'll leave it right there. But beware of the sower of discord. And be very leery of the man who tells you God is so weak and so imperfect, he cannot preserve his written word exactly as he wants it in every generation. Our life is but a speck, my friend. It does not require a rocket scientist to understand that this book is bigger than you and I. Not only has this book existed 400 years before us, as it stands in the authorized version, and there were Bibles before that, make no mistake, this wasn't the first one. 
but it will abide should the Lord tarry another 400 years. That fact alone should cause you to turn your television off, to put that work of fiction down, to pick up this Bible, to read it and apply it. Reading it means nothing if you don't apply it. Be like-minded. That's applying it. Have a definition of truth. Have a yardstick. This is what Paul says. And so, until we resurrect with a whole new introduction, middle, and closing, with all new placards and a new direction, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, wanting to thank the few men and women who did remember me last month and have made my preaching possible for another month or so. Until then, this is Pastor Visser from CPM. War for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry! Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given. That wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.